welcome to the spin it's this first spin of 2021 and it's the last spin ever i'm sounding happy but inside i'm sad how are you guys first, feeling about you know the new year life in general mm, you know talk to me the first spin of 2021 and the last spin of 2021 very sad Sad yeah. boys, press F to pay respect. I'm finally, I'm really happy because since it's 2021, you know, COVID is just going to disappear. So, oh, yeah, because yeah, COVID was a 2020 thing. So, naturally, it's just exactly it's the new year. There's no more, of it. no, but we're gonna get COVID 20. Gonna, gonna <laughs> strike. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that South Africa's at least got the most uh, mutated form of the virus. You know, we get it, getting written no, no. some revenge. You know, we, we reverse colonizing them with, with our <laughs> disease. Chemical so, warfare. Chemical warfare, exactly. So what have we got up for today? We've got Kino, you talking about something. MJ, you've got some comments. I'm going to be talking about something. Let's uh, hope a certain regime aren't listening. And then um, MJ's got some more comments. Without further ado, Kino, off you go. Yeah, so today we will be talking a little bit about Elon Musk and Tesla. So Elon Musk is now the richest person in the world, taking over um, Jeff Bezos, which is Amazon's the CEO of Amazon. Obviously, a large amount of Elon Musk's wealth is tied to Tesla stock, being one of the majority shareholders and having, obviously, options tied to the stock price. And Tesla has had a massive run on in their, in their stock price this year. Uh, I was chatting with the guys just before the podcast started. And um, over a one-year period to this day, Tesla is up 820%. So that's a, a massive increase in share price. And that's obviously due to the insane profitability and production um, of the Tesla company. They're in a really great financial position. Um, is what you would think for a company which has gone up 800%, but sadly that just isn't the case. Um, and this leads us to a little talk about valuation. Uh, I think we've covered this briefly before. So I'm sure you're wondering how a company can go up 800% and be in a bad financial position. And we call this overvaluation. And that basically means that people think the stock is worth more than what it is. Uh, usually, there's a logical reason behind that, and that's growth prospects, right? So usually when people think a stock is worth more than what it is, they expect the stock to grow its revenue and then, and by extension its earnings by an aggressive amount because either it's in an innovative industry, it's a market leader, it's doing something that other people don't do. Um, while Tesla is, in that sense, an innovator, it also has a cult-like status around young people and, you know, young, young Americans. It's the, the number two most popular stock. It's a very, a very popular stock about young people, and it's almost become a status symbol or something cool to own Tesla stock. And obviously, Elon Musk has become like this cult celebrity. Um, so there's this kind of social side to it, but obviously there's a side of Elon Musk being seen as an innovator because of SpaceX, because of Tesla's um, electronic vehicles. The products are great, but um, the valuation is just insane. So let's talk a little bit of numbers. Tesla currently has a price earnings ratio of 362. And Michael's going to chat to you guys a little bit about the nitty gritty on, on price earnings. But just as a broad thing, it means that it is Tesla like practically this means that Tesla is now selling at 362 times its earnings. Um, and it has a valuation north of 700 billion US dollars while only producing half a million um, electronic vehicles annually. Uh, if you do some kind of ca comparison, um, other automakers, they call them the, the Detroit auto automakers in America, the major automakers, um, are capable of producing you know, millions of vehicles every year. Um, there's a nice little article on the Motley Fool about this. So the, the, the criticism of Tesla has always been its extremely high valuation for its extremely low production capability when compared to its peers. 
and it's very poor financial position. It just recently started turning a profit. Um, and as I said, Michael, take you through those financials later. But I just want to chat about something. We've talked about Robinhood a little bit, but let's talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an asset that has also rose an insane amount this year. It's, it's, it's had a massive rally. And there's been periods in the last three, four years where Bitcoin has had its ups and downs. Look, uh, if we talk about the fundamentals of Bitcoin, it'll be a very, very long podcast. But essentially, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. And the believers of Bitcoin have a few cardinal beliefs. Um, it's a decentralized digital currency in the, in the sense that it's decentralized from the financial system and from the reserve banks. It's transactions that are made are, are self-regulating and self-validating. It's also posed as, and this is not something I believe, but this is one of an argument, inverted commas safe asset, or on the podcast we've used the term safe haven asset, so people see Bitcoin as an alternative to gold, which for many reasons I don't believe. Um, and also people, there's a whole school of thought on the internet towards privacy, uh, privacy-orientated you know, browsing, just protecting your, your data and protecting your transaction data and your transaction data can be protected with Bitcoin. So there, there are a few uh, cardinal beliefs about Bitcoin, but generally what's driving Bitcoin's price higher and higher is really the fact that Bitcoin's price is going higher and higher. Um, and again, a lot of young people are getting very invested into Bitcoin. It's also become one of these, you know, cool things to get invested. Uh, so we can say Bitcoin is in whatever bubble after its its massive price increase, after not really a fundamental change in in value, but also just something you know we've talked a little bit about Tesla and Robinhood, and another thing I want to talk about in regards to this what I call the young people bubble is a subreddit called Wall Street Bets. So Wall Street Bets is kind of the site where young people you know brag and you know post pictures of extremely risky positions, usually very levered involved involving options on very uh, commonly stocks like Tesla, you know, and they brag about how much money they've made and, and they kind of joke and brag about how much money they've lost. So it increases risk-taking, you know, attitudes and it's all these people doing it and it's become like a funny, you know, kind of club thing that young people do. And the COVID has just accelerated this, right? Because people are at home, you know, they're bored. And also, you know, money's tight for people that have stopped working and, and young people turn to the stock market. And when we have resources out there like Wall Street Bets, it can be very, very toxic to young investors <clears throat> because this kind of thing is cool. You know, you show that you've had a massive loss in options and you just get all these upvotes and comments of people saying that it's really cool. And, and obviously it's all behind the guise of a meme, right? Like obviously people logically don't think this is cool, but you get your internet points and then there's a psychology thing behind it. So this is what I call the young people bubble. It's assets like, like Bitcoin, it's assets like Tesla spurred on by low cost investing through apps like Robinhood. And, you know, through this kind of social media cult of things like Wall Street Bits um, and other social media avenues that makes it kind of cool to, earn, to, to own these assets and cool to have a lot of money in these assets. So, yeah, so I think first let's have just Michael take us through the boarding bits, a little bit about uh, price earnings. And then let's chat a little bit about this, this young people bubble that, that, that I like to call it. Yeah, and before I go into that, I think it would be really interesting, you know, it would be if we obviously we can't see this kind of data, but if you could see, you know, the exact breakdown of who's buying and selling Tesla shares and you could work out, you know, how many of those people, even if you could segment it by age group or if you could segment it by, you know, are they small retail investors, institutional investors, it would be really interesting to see those figures. Um, yeah. That's obviously, I don't think that's available. Um, so then, yeah, on, on to price earnings ratio. So as Kino kind of already explained, so Tesla's price earnings ratio was 362. 
Right. So what that essentially means is what the price earnings ratio is, is it's kind of like a, you can see it as a fraction and your numerator on top is your price. So the stock price, current stock price, and your denominator at the bottom is your earnings per share. So that can either be your, your trading, you know, 12 months earnings, or it could be your, your expected future earnings, um, which it's, I think it's probably in this case. So what this essentially means is that for every one unit of earnings, investors are willing to pay 362 units, or essentially $1 of earnings, they're willing to pay $362, which is insane to think about. I mean, it's not unprecedented to see companies with such high price earnings. Um, an example, which is maybe not the best one if you if you don't think Tesla's a bubble, but Yahoo, uh, back in the dot-com bubble, they had a price earnings ratio of 4,921 in, 19, in 1999. Um, but yeah, um, generally investors would value or your value investors who care more about buying undervalued companies, they would focus on companies with lower price earnings ratios. Um, but again, you wouldn't, you know, buying a, a company with a high price earnings ratio, maybe get it to say, it obviously will vary across industries, across sectors, you know, like 20 or 30 is not necessarily bad because if a company has growth prospects, then you would be more willing to pay, you know, upfront, pay more upfront now to get, you know, lock in this growth. Um, but yeah, as, as Kino has already touched on, it is, it's a very high price earnings ratio. And I think an important point to make is, which is kind of summed up perfectly by this Warren Buffett quote, is that it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price, unquote. So, you know, looking at Bitcoin, looking at Tesla and a lot of other companies, by kind of saying, you know, it's overvalued, not necessarily saying that this is a bad investment or this technology is not revolutionary or that, you know, Elon Musk is not a pioneer. But there comes a point where you've got to think as an investor, okay, this is a good product or this is a good service that's being sold, but am I paying a realistic amount for it? Or is it, because something can still be a good product, but it can be overpriced and yeah. Yeah. a share can be overpriced. So that's just an important thing to, you know, to consider when investing. Um, so yeah, those are my comments. I'll just quickly, um, Michael mentioned that Tesla has a P of 362. Just to put this in, in context, Tesla re recently uh, achieved a higher market cap than Facebook and Facebook has a price earnings ratio of 28. Now, obviously Tesla and Facebook aren't directly in the same industry. Tesla makes cars predominantly, but Tesla and Facebook are, are both um, in, the, the, in the tech space. In a lot of the industries are in the same technology industries. So just to give you guys some kind of contrast, Facebook, which is an equally massive company in terms of market cap, has a price earnings ratio of 28. All right. So I think that's the, the end of your section. MJ, you've yep. added some commentary. And it does seem, you know, that uh, you know, something to build on with Parler, DuckDuckGo, Bitcoin. A lot of people are looking for avenues to protect their privacy. They're feeling that perhaps, you know, this new, and as an easy example, WhatsApp updates that are coming, is that mm -hmm. their privacy is being impinged upon. So they, they're looking for ways to try and get more privacy, but everything's a bit disjointed at the moment. Okay, so I just want to sneak this in quickly. Jack Ma is missing. Um, full stop in story. Uh, I do intend on going to China at some point in the future, so I don't want to comment positively or negatively. So my topic for today is going to be the price equity or private equity investing into sports. So the live sports industry generated $144 billion in revenues in 2019, though half of that coming from North America alone. And seeking to grab a share of those revenues, um, sports-related private equity deals rose to a high of $9 billion 
dollars in the year prior to COVID. So that's 2019 as well. And there were 45 of those deals. So while sports-related investments plummeted in 2020, I think for reasons we can all guess um, into COVID, PE investments, PE standing for private equity, um, investments directly into ownership stakes of sports entities rose to an all-time high with 11 transactions accounting for just over 0.6 billion. I see, MJ, you want to say something about esports? Yeah, I was just I was thinking um, when you talked about, you know, sports investments plummeting uh, in 2020, um, of course, you know, most most people all across the world um, were at home, you know, spending more time, you could say, watching sports, um, but lots of live sports would have been disrupted. Uh, live, sports, live sports, when I say that, I mean, you know, your, your non-esports. But I'm interested, you know, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't have any figures in front of me now that the esports industry, you know, would have, there weren't as many disruptions and that probably grew quite quite a lot in comparison to your traditional sports. I definitely just so just um esports has been growing rapidly um over the past few years and it's been a few really big investments to the point that we've seen our come out of the law called the rise of esports investments. So esports has been one of these these hot areas. And one of the reasons why esports is so hot um is that a lot of people don't understand esports, especially the a lot of venture capital firms don't understand the actual industry. But a very unique thing about esports is that it directly targets a demographic, which a lot of other forms of entertainment doesn't. So it uh, targets gamers of a certain age, which have a certain amount of disposable income, um, because it's a very certain kind of consumer that is interested in esports. So if you kind of read the the the, the, the corporate reports on it, a lot of these firms are going after this demographic that it's targeting and it targets a very unique demographic. Well, Kina, I just want to, I just want to stop you there and say, you know, it's yeah. all fair and well saying these VC companies don't understand esports and that, and, you know, esports people that are investing in targeting a very specific target, uh, target market. But to, to paraphrase something Bo Burnham said, you know, if you, if you target girls that don't have arms, you're not going to have a very big, you know, market. So, you know, you can be very specific in in what you what you're targeting, but at the end of the day, I think it's probably best to have several target markets to to maximize your, your revenue streams. Yeah, that's true. I feel like we could we could get um to a bit of a debate here for quite a while. So let's just uh, swiftly move on. Um so why invest in a sports team? And I imagine it's much the same for esports. You know, you've got your engaged consumer or customer segment. Or support segment, you've got advertising, sponsorship revenues, you've got championship prizes. And I think a nice one is also the liquidity and realizable earnings on a yearly basis instead of only realizing value at exit. So with it, you know, you invest in a fintech company, they need to grow their, they need to grow their, their things. You've got the runway before they take off. Um, but you know, with with the sports, you've you've got more fixed costs. Anything surplus is can be taken out sort of as and when needed, if if you want to, and you don't want to reinvest stuff. So investors include industry heavyweights such as BlackRock, uh, Bank Capital, and Silver Lake, and specifically in South Africa, and this is why I thought I'd talk about this, the South African rugby team, the Sharks, have just been bought out, or 51% of them have been bought by MVM Investments. Um, for, And this is not a guaranteed figure, or it's not a definite figure, but it's, it's estimated to have been for $6 million dollars after MBM initially went after the Stormers, but the Stormers said, no, thank you. So this is the first such such investment um, in South African rugby 
from an overseas from an overseas investor. MJ, I see you've now deleted your comment. Have I have I covered what you wanted to say, or are you just you have just numbers? One up? thing I would just add is basically yeah, it's, it's just super interesting how you know if you think about venture capital, I don't think many people the first thing that would come to mind would be sports teams, but um, it is you know it is a form of venture capital even. Musicians, um, you know, record labels uh, could be argued that that's venture capital too. You know, you a lot of the major record labels they they spend millions on, you know, dozens of artists, maybe hundreds of artists, and out of all those artists, a handful are going to strike gold. Um, so this, it's same kind of applies, but we don't always it's think about it. Interesting parallel there. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. I would say the one thing about sports investments um, is just. Obviously, I don't know a lot about sports and, and the sports industry in general, but I would assume that the revenue would be very cyclical uh, because I would assume a lot of the revenue comes from ticket sales. And obviously, there's a, a season where matches happen and a season where, where matches don't happen. And I would assume that that, uh, that industry is extremely cyclical in, in nature. Uh, but that's just a, a thought I always have uh, about the sports industry. I don't know if you guys can confirm or, or, or deny that. I think it's it is cyclical in, by nature, but much less so. You know, at the advent of professionalism. If you look at let's say rugby for an example, you've got Super Rugby, which is like five months of the year. Then you've got Curry Cup, which is another three months of the year. So you've got yeah. yes, you so you do have times when there are games and no games, but then people want more games, so there are now more games, and it becomes more smooth throughout the year. And anyway, you know, you can play repeats, you can do special signings through through the dry season to keep keep the income coming and anyway sponsorship you know it's not that you get sponsorship money for when they play you get sponsorship money course, monthly. Yeah. Yeah. so that that aspect wouldn't be cyclical yeah right i think that unless anyone has any further commentary that is us for today and us for the spin yeah 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 we we about to do a, a Jack Ma and, and disappear. <laughs> He's lying low. He's lying low. <laughs> yeah, we're about to, to lie low for a bit, guys. Yeah. All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for listening. And whether you've listened once, you've listened twice, or you've listened to several of them, you know, thank you very much for taking the time to listen. We hope you found it beneficial. Yeah, so, thanks, everybody. Bye from our side. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.